Guys, here we are. We are coming to you, introducing our podcast, the GPP, also known as the Ghana Paradox Podcast. And you might think, oh goodness gracious, another podcast. Here we go again. How many? First of all, we are all in different lanes and we will continue to create and produce because that's what we do. Secondly, yes, we do need another podcast and that's the reason why. We are, especially diaspora, so young Ghanaians living across the world, we always say that we want to do more, we say that we need to do more. However, we also believe that it is important to have the knowledge in order to be able to do more. And we all know that our beloved country, Ghana, can be sometimes a very, how can I put it nicely, a very political place. So. Unless you know how to navigate, unless you kind of understand the politics and all the intricacies of uh, uh, the Ghanaian system, how can you make an impact or make a change? So that's why this podcast is here. This podcast is to showcase and to inform you and to bring debate and knowledge on the latest on the latest updates when it comes to Ghanaian politics, when it comes to socioeconomic affairs, and even when it comes to culture and all aspect of uh, of the society that will have an impact not just to the people in Ghana, but also on us living here in uh, the UK, France, Brazil, Italy, and wherever all the Ghanaians are, which is all around the world. So welcome to the Ghana Paradox podcast. And uh, I would also like to introduce my great colleagues and experts on all things Ghanaian. So I'd like to open the floor to Charlene. Thank you. Um, yeah, I have kind of been following Ghanaian politics now since I was uh, a teenager, so easily 15 years. Um, you know, went on obviously to study politics at university and African politics at SOAS, um, and then moved out to Ghana for a couple of years as well, where I dabbled in continuously you know, evaluating politics as well um, when I worked for Imani and and then worked for um, Holst Ghana as well. So, um, yeah, I've seemed to not been able to shake off Ghana whenever um, the, the time has arisen. Um, and weirdly enough, I have a kind of a, a Marmite relationship with, with Ghana. <laughs> um, you just got to love, <laughs> love it or hate it. Sometimes you love it, sometimes you hate it. But when you hate it, it's because you love it so much. Um, and I guess that's me, and, and most people know me um, on Twitter as the Bellower, um, and so you probably see me tweeting something or other against somebody or other. <laughs> and a little miniature fight. <laughs> um, yes, we know. For no reason. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm controversial for we no reason, but um, yeah, there's a thing, and it's, it's fun, and it's good to just challenge the status quo. Uh, if we're going to move forward, we kind of need to educate. The masters um, and let them see the power that they have to change the situation as it is on the ground really that's me 
Absolutely. Thanks for that, Charlene. And it's true. She's a she's the it girl of Twitter and I guess Instagram soon and everywhere. So there you go. All Ghana, all things Ghana, she does know and she is. Next on uh, yeah, next my other my next colleague. So please introduce yourself to everyone. I'm Agile. Um similar to Charlene probably been interested in Ghanaian politics for about 10 to 12 years now. Um, it's a love-hate affair, <laughs> but it's something that I believe that we as diasporans, we as Ghanaians must take an interest in. Um, I'm an economist and business strategist as well, as I have a few businesses in Ghana as well, so I'm pretty back and forth between the two, two places um, and have to navigate through the politics and business worlds in Ghana, which isn't exactly easy. Um, but I'd say if I echo what Derek said, I think that podcasts like these are necessary and important if we do really want to make an impact um, at home and in the wider continent and um, to get the conversations moving, but also to get action on the ground as well. Um, we need to come together and understand how we can do that and bring it and bring some progress to to our country so i'm looking forward to getting this moving getting some discussions going and yeah let's see what we can do thanks a lot for that nigel and uh, i love that you said few businesses i mean please bring us in i guess we're all in for to need the money so please um and before i go and before we start i would like to also introduce myself the name is derek um, yeah, I do a few things here and there, and um, especially my love is PR and comms and strategic comms. However, I've, all, I've started having an interest in Ghana because I have gone through a journey and I've uh, really restarted to appreciate my Ghanaian roots. And uh, I've always wanted to do something more to understand it in order to make an impact. So that's where we are here, and we do believe that it's important to empower the next generation to know what's happening on our home soil. So welcome to the Ghana Paradox podcast. And uh, as we're starting, we would like to have a little review of what's happening and the week that has been in the GH. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read some of the headlines. And of course, I will have my fellow colleagues and especially expert to comment on it and to really bring the knowledge and to be an objective analysis of uh, what's happening and how this will and how it might have an impact also on uh, other Ghanaians in the diaspora and back home. So let's begin. So one of the things that are happening at the moment are reading through some of the news here and there so i think that everyone has been uh, has been a bit panicking saying that one of the news that's happening from uh, today is that Akuf, nana kufada the ghana president uh, have decided to extend the closure of ghana borders by two weeks so two more weeks to do this and uh, apparently the extension is going to take not apparently the extension is going to take effect from midnight April 5th, 2020, and we all know that our dearest Minister for Information, Koja Apung Nkrumah, said that uh, this is in order to make sure that these tough decisions are necessary to protect the lives of Ghanaians, despite the inconvenience. So, Charlene, Nigel, 
what are your thoughts in terms of the status report of where we are with COVID-19, with this, uh, the unfortunate COVID-19, how is going to cope in? Uh, and also, what do you think about this decision? Um, I'll start. So, uh, to be honest, um, I think it's been, I'm a little confused. Mm. And so, if I'm a little confused, I think it's been maybe miscommunicated. <laughs> they said it's, it's been extended by um, two weeks, yeah. which would let me think that a two-week lockdown is now a one-month lockdown. But it takes effect from April 5th, whereby you know, they've only been in lockdown for one week by that time. Um, so, it is only if... If that makes, like, if I understand it correctly, it's mm-hmm. actually only a one-week extension. Okay. If that's the case, then the question is, what are we, what are we extending it for just for one week? But, um, so I, I, I would need, and I probably, no, I haven't tweeted them yet, but I will probably tweet the <laughs> Ministry of Information and get some confirmation. I'm fan terrible. But, um, apart from that, listen, Obviously, some of us who are in some of the world's most advanced economies are seeing how <laughs> things can go wrong um, when when not handled properly, when not addressed quickly. Um, the UK left us without a solid plan for like three weeks, I think, after the first case. Yeah. Um, no, sorry, longer after the first case, three weeks after like, the first death, yeah. something like that, um, before we actually heard the government have a plan in place for stemming uh, the virus so i have to applaud ghana because ghana for you know akofado has by and large put boris johnson to shame um, <laughs> that's honestly like i, I think it's, it's difficult to see any other way True. being a ghanaian sitting in london feeling like i would be safer in a third world country um is it kind of makes it kind of yeah it kind of does highlight um just how impressive the leadership has been so far um, mm-hmm. with regards to at least saying the right things um, and and um, trying to act fast. And I guess fear, this is really just a conversation between fear and arrogance, right? The West have been arrogant um, and, and Africa always has fear. So um, the fear of coronavirus spreading throughout Africa is why Okofado has most likely you know, responded in the way that he has. But I, I am actually really impressed um it, it seems like the people have responded well they recognize the importance i don't know how many people actually understand fully what is going on mm. um, but they seem to be like whenever they've been called out on um their shortcomings there has i've seen at least an immediate response so recently a journalist asked the ministry of information what about the deaf people because it doesn't seem to be communication for deaf people being put widely out there yeah literally some 24 hours later i'm seeing i'm seeing those videos everywhere um so they are responding to people calling them out for where they failed which is better than other governments around the world that's my opinion anyway and that's a very valid opinion mm-hmm. nigel no i think i'll pretty much echo what charlene has said um in this global crisis, not many governments, would we say, have done the job, essentially, in defending their nation. Um, I would say, I've, I've actually been taken by surprise, um, pleasantly surprised, in fact, at how um, Nanako Frado and the MPP government have currently 
been working the nation through this crisis, um, I didn't expect there to be such a focus on um, stemming the flow of people in, into the nation, which is where a lot of the cases were coming from as well. The boldness to do yeah. that um, was very encouraging. Um, I think initially, basically sent out a notice to stop basically anyone that had over two, 200 cases, which was pretty much everybody um, at the time, apart from other African nations, pretty much. Um, and that included the UK, the US, all the so-called bigwigs hmm. as well. That gave me a, you know, that gave me a lot of confidence. It should probably give a lot of people, um, Ghanaian descent confidence as well, that when push comes to shove, we can actually do the right thing. Um, in regards to the actual lockdown in itself, mm-hmm. um, it's an interesting one. I think having a lockdown for two weeks after, um, I think the cases at the time were about 18, 18 to 25, correct me if I'm wrong, something like that. Uh, yeah, something very low like that. It was, it was quite low at the time. I mean, if you want to be hypercritical, you could say, well, probably should have locked it down a little bit earlier if we were <laughs> going to decide to do that. But, you know, let's clap where there needs to be um, applauds. And he he's done well. He's taken a tough decision because not many people in the country um, have been happy about it at all. I mean, we as a people, we like to be free and do what we want to do, etc. So to basically be on lockdown for two weeks, um, you might kind of see this as some form of uh, totalitarian government. And I'm sure um, there'll be many people within the political sphere in Ghana that will spout such. Um, but I think they've done immensely well um, in trying to curb this. Although what I would say, um, and it goes back to the the two weeks um when that announcement was made that we'll be going on lockdown for two weeks the nation was given 48 hours um to basically prepare themselves now you're basically giving 48 hours to people to move out of accra and all the other areas and go into the villages right yeah this is possibly spreading (laughs) the coronavirus um, across the country um now i'm not going to sit here and say i had a better idea um, because at the moment um, I don't. However, um, I did think about the fact that a lot of people would have gone down to their villages to, whether to relax, to chill, whatever it is. If we're going to be locked down for two weeks, I might as well do it in comfort. Sure. Um, now, what was put in place in regards to testing people moving, you know, moving into different different parts of the country, spreading the virus? I don't think that was well thought out in that respect. Um, and we haven't really heard much in regards to increased cases. Obviously, we know that it's gone up to about 120-odd, um, which was always going to happen anyway. Which, um, however, if I may interject, compared to some of the Western countries, such as Italy or the UK, as to today, there was 4,000 deaths. I think it's a drop in the ocean. And I will never make light. However, let's give props when we should. Yeah, I mean... It's, yeah, it's a drop in the ocean. Um, and I'm not saying we haven't done well. We, we have, we have. But at the same time, I'm looking at Ghana as a nation. Okay. Um, not going to compare ourselves to anybody else. Let's just speak of the nation in itself. Um, it's just that particular bit in regards to allowing 48 hours. Like, I do understand that, you know, you're going to have to allow people to go and get food and everything else, etc. But if we're allowing that to happen anyway... Um, then possibly yeah. we just locked it down 
immediately or whatever it is because there were fears. I, I, yeah, I had calls from people in Ghana in different parts of the country that said, yeah, they've had a load of people, or an influx of people move back into the villages or into Takrade or Cape Coast and whatnot. And they were a little bit fearful because where are these guys coming from and what do they have? And it's not as if we're testing in high numbers either. Um, or I don't have any information on that, maybe um, you two may, may have some information on that, but I don't myself. So we are doing well. Um, I mean, like I said, it was a bold decision to lock down the country, um, especially in an election year as well, because that could um, definitely go against you. Um, it was a bold decision to lock it down to pretty much everybody. Um, and also with how they dealt with um, returning Ghanaians, and residents as well um, to enforce a mandatory isolation as well. Not everyone would have been happy with that. I mean, I wasn't because, yeah, that definitely spoiled my plans. But um, <laughs> it, it was it, it was it was good because, like you said, if you do want to make a comparison at this stage, that the UK, which you know, um, Ghanaians tend to look up to for some reason, haven't done anything. Um, so I would say that Ghana and a lot of other African nations are leading the way in regards to, you know, just shutting down the country and trying to navigate through this um, in the best way possible. And there isn't there isn't a best way. It's whatever can be done from a localized perspective, essentially. But yeah, I'd, I'd say they're doing doing a pretty good job. Mm. Well, yeah, I agree. Um, and yeah, and I do also agree on the forty-eight hour notice. I was just like. If we, if you know your people, you know that you've caused yourself a bigger problem. <laughs> True, I I could agree, especially with, I guess, with some of our Ghanaian people, and I say this in all niceness, by the way. Um, <laughs> ne- I try. Next, uh, another. I mean, of course, we all know that what's literally. Your, what's the, your take, though? My take, personally. Yeah. Oh. Gosh, it threw me off, guys. Um, My take, I personally think that I am extremely impressed, and I shouldn't, to be honest, because Nigel said it, we shouldn't have our benchmark against any other nation but other than our own self. But I'm extremely impressed by the leadership and by the, in a way, prompt actions that have been taken, especially when you compare it to countries in which I've even lived. So with Italy, the UK, where you'd expect for all of this to be really contained as much as they can. Nothing has really been taken, nothing has really been done properly until the situation has really become dire. So it really shows how unserious and how unprepared they were for this. And uh, personally, I also think, even though I am very gutted that this sister will not be in Ghana, I am still very... I'm still very proud of how, even even if it's just a soundbite, of how they've really shown their interest and the passion for people. So I was reading today how the president, President Nana Kufado, decided to call in a cross-party meeting, really bringing different people together, started ratifying laws, bills, and this really shows that at the moment it's not about politics, it's about human lives. And definitely, I think that this is very inspiring and very impressive in terms of we need this type of leadership. We haven't really seen this leadership, not even in the West. So kudos to to my country. Indeed. Fair, true. 
No, I think they're doing they're doing well. Um, we just hope that the cases <sighs> the cases go down as quickly yeah. as possible. Um, you know, because the, the truth of the matter is, mm-hmm. should it start to get out of hand, and and if we're honest, nobody would know the true figure of who has of coronavirus or not in Ghana. Um, again, we we don't know how testing is going. Um, if, if there's mass testing going on at all. But if it if it was to suddenly start to spiral out of control, um, that would be would cause a massive problem to our health our healthcare system, which we all know isn't exactly <laughs> where it should be either. Well, exactly. Um, and, and also, if you just take our behaviours as Ghanaians anyway, like we know what our people are like. Like you said, um, there's a lot of things we probably wouldn't be adhering to. I know right now, not everybody's adhering to. Them. You know the, the shutdown, and I guess it's the same everywhere. Um, how would we be coping in a situation where we start to have thousands of cases? I mean, yeah. do we even have thousands of beds? Do we have thousands exactly. of ICUs? You know. Um, so, as as well as we are doing in currently, well, in the start of this um, this epidemic or pandemic, should we say? Um, we also have to be mindful of the fact that. You know, whilst we are trying to deal with it as it is now, okay, how can we also put in place um, procedures and invest in the healthcare mm-hmm. system so that should things like this happen again, or even whilst this is happening, we're not reactive um, with any of this, and we are going to be in a good place to be able to handle um, such issues in a much better way going forward. Um, because again, if you if we just speak of the fact that okay we've got an extension for another let's say week or two weeks what happens after that you know um coronavirus hasn't gone anywhere well we'd love we'd hope that it has gone in two weeks but (laughs) what happens after the two weeks um during these two weeks are we doing testing you know are we how and if so how is that going to take place because if that if it's the case of okay we shut down for let's say near on a month okay at the end of this after we open up, coronavirus could just spread even more. Because hmm. what else, yeah, what, else have we, what else have we done apart from locking mm. people up in their houses? True. You know, and again, I'm not. It's not to take away from the fact that what government have done is applauded. That you know, we can we can, um, you know, give them you know a, good, a big IE call for that. But at the same time, uh, when we open up, what happens next? Yeah. True. No. That's the thing that worries me is that, like, you know, we know they've, they've spoken about the lack of ventilators. We have something like 67 state-owned ventilators, another 113 in the in the private sector, and another 20 on its way. Um, so I think they said that takes us roughly into, like, 200 ventilators. Oh, goodness. But no one's actually asking, like, but what's how many, do, how many does the country actually need in order to, number one, fight this, but number two, have a proper health system these are the moments where you know when they realized they had to fight coronavirus a hundred million dollars just came out of nowhere or <laughs> well it didn't just come out of nowhere it's come from the imf but the they, magic they tree the magic tree needed, yeah they suddenly decided that they needed to put a hundred million into fighting this thing right and it's like okay so before then did you know how many ventilators you might need in this country and where that money was going to come from we've never heard of them saying prior to this, we need to buy another 50, 100,000 ventilators into the country. 
that's just never been said before <laughs> and no one's asking them now in light of this now that it, like things like this will always shine such a bright light on your faults yeah and the question is do you just wait till it passes or do you actually deal with your faults when you have the opportunity you know if they don't do it right now it's not gonna happen with ghana um in the future i don't think 100 percent, and i think i'll probably add to that as well that um when it comes down to the research in regards to a case of how many ventilators do we need and mm-hmm. all of this type of stuff, are we are we actively engaging our academics institution, institutions at this moment um, to figure out um, a solution for us? Or are we waiting for the WHO? Are we waiting for the US? Are we waiting <laughs> for the UK to come out with a solution and then we're just taking it like that? Um, it's a time to really look at ourselves and see what we can do for ourselves in that respect because at the end of the day if we're going to be sitting around waiting for china and everyone else to give us a solution one that might take time two that's going to cost a lot of money that apparently we don't have so mm. we have institutions for a reason sure. use them you know we should we should the same way that the uk are using imperial whoever um, and okay we could say they're not doing a good job but at the same time the institutions are there you know, we have academics that are there. We have scientists that are there that can probably think of solutions and not just um, exactly. for for Africa, for the world, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an it's an opportunity. You know, um, we have our way. We have our own ways of dealing with um, health. You know, and um, we can partner up with other African nations um, to see what mm-hmm. we can do for this and other and other things. But are we doing it? Or are we just being reactive and are we waiting for somebody else to tell us that, okay, this is the cure and whatnot? So, That's very you know, it's, I mean, like I say again, I'll, I'll reiterate, this isn't to um, play down the efforts because um, it's a trying time for all nations and all governments and all people. But at the same time, it's also an opportunity for us to position ourselves effectively for the future. Um, I love to invest. If it is, you know, a hundred million or whatever it is we managed to shake out from somewhere, how can we invest that properly? Um, as opposed to just using it for today's problem. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. That's very I love the thing that you said about being proactive rather than reactive. And I think that this is the time to really be positioned at the forefront and be finally in the driving seat together with other nations because we've really shown that we can do leadership we've shown that we can be we can take effective decision and as well impactful decisions so why not just extend it to different areas uh another thing in the news um here you are so It says, African Airlines, and this is from Joy Online News, and it says, African Airlines lose up to $4.4 billion in revenue following the spread of coronavirus. Briefly, it literally says that multiple flights have been cancelled or temporarily suspended across Africa as airlines struggle to cope with falling demand due to the spread of coronavirus. From Rwanda, Air Mauritius, and to to many more, many have suspended international, international flights and according to the International Air Transport Association, YATA, Africa might be having to look into solutions to be able to to be able to f- 
face the decline in international bookings and also domestic bookings. So, thoughts to, to both of you. What can it be done? What can we do? I mean, we all know aviation across the board in the world is literally in decline. So, however, similar to what Nigel spoke about, is this an opportunity? I mean, mindful that Ghana still hasn't got his national carrier, which I will leave all my comments for the, for the meantime. But do you think that this could be an opportunity? Do you think that something either proactive or reactive can be done? And if so, what could it be? Um, obviously, I'm, I'm not going to talk much on this one because I know that the businessman is in the house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the guy, the guy that's got just a couple of two business, two or three businesses here and there. Yeah, oh well, just a few, just a few, just a few. Just a few. <laughs> um, no, honestly, I think I think Ghana is kind of lucky. Um, starting up a, a, an airline, we know is really expensive, and yeah. they were supposed to have done that last year. Oh, the year before that and then last year um, the fact that we don't have one means that we haven't lost money on money lost hmm. um, but um, listen Africa can bounce back no matter what this isn't this isn't the worst thing that's happened to Africa <laughs> as a continent so um, I, I'm not worried um, obviously hmm. all the airlines are losing money all over the place so I'm sure that if Ethiopian Airlines you know becomes the first to bounce back and you know open up this the important routes they'll make the money when british airways are still grounded or when united <laughs> airlines are still grounded um yeah i for me the economy is just it's whether we're all going to rally around the continent or whether the world is going to use this as an excuse to avoid africa yet again um this isn't our virus you know, so hopefully they don't <laughs> think that way. You know, hopefully they, they don't behave that way. And hopefully we ourselves don't behave that way. We had the best December in like in forever with all the African Americans and all the diasporas from Europe and everywhere else coming back and the amount of money that we were all willing to put into our home economy because it's our home economy. Yeah. If we can keep that energy and keep that mindset, our home economies will be fine. Um mm. or should be better than than you know but um but if we decide to turn our back on the continent because we're scared of viruses that we've lived through in our host countries then obviously then then we're back to square one um and then we'll just have to i don't know listen to some more charity songs about how to help the continent you know? so let them know it's Christmas time at all. That was a banger, though. Let's be honest. I mean, I don't agree, but I never, I never, I never bought the track. I just had to. Okay, now you're really shaming me. I was joking, guys. I've never bought that. I was joking. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Nigel, I mean, are you worried for your companies? <laughs> no. Um, Straight up. In crisis, there's always opportunity, isn't it? So I think even at this moment in time, people are finding ways to make money. <laughs> um, and again, like I previously said, this is actually an opportunity for african governments to position themselves i mean aviation industry worldwide is taking a pounding 
um, and it probably won't be the same. Um, well, the world isn't going to be the same after this. Um, some, a lot of airlines will probably fold. And it has to happen every, you know, every couple of decades we go through these types of issues. Well, not viruses, but we go through economic um, turmoil, recessions, and whatnot. Um, because for for me, I just see it as we, as as a country should use these opportunities to reposition ourselves. I mean, it's a good thing we didn't start the airline yet because <laughs> we would have taken a pounding. <laughs> we would have taken a massive pounding and that's um, that's public yeah. money that would have gone into that as well. And we, of course, we need yeah. that money to, to to invest in the nation properly. Um, so it's a good thing that didn't occur. Um, God has better plans for you. To... Sorry? Oh, no, I was just saying this is when God has better plans for his people, I guess. Let's leave it like that. I guess, or, you know, the minister was sleeping and this time it was good. But I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> it worked out. Wow. But, um, no, I think if, if we talk, okay, Africa went through a, a, you know, a good mm, 18 months or so in regards to um, tourism and whatnot and investment. Um, I actually think that that won't change. Um especially amongst the diaspora, it might actually increase. Um, and many of us right now that are wishing and hoping we were back home <laughs> during this crisis. I really feel attacked at the moment, so please stop. Yeah, and I'll tell you a little bit more. <laughs> many, many of us, many of, many of us um, that doesn't include me, wishing that they had um, Ghana passports so they could have at least tried to sneak in. Um, <laughs> how many people would, once this is done, will be applying for dual citizenship, you know, for Ghana yep. and other. Yep. Um, and how will they now see the world? You know, they we've spent, this is the first um, massive crisis for us in our generation, right, mm. where exactly. it's a healthcare. It's, it's, this is regarding health. Any, any one of us can die. Um, and we've seen how God forbid. the West have reacted to it. And we're all looking to our continent, you know, with a little bit of envy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. For a lot of people to decide, when people that were indecisive um, to go back home, mm. to mm. really invest in Africa, to really invest in what they might see as a safe haven and whatnot, regardless of how it's seen, it could aid, it will all aid um, the economies of African nations, especially Ghana. And like you said, Ghana is in a privileged position where we kind of have that diaspora crown if you want to call it as the first pit stop and yeah. whatnot and amongst amongst all the african um presidents as well during this crisis is probably um nana kufredo that's been heard and seen the most um from diasporans mm -hmm. not just Ghanaians. so it will really i actually think it will aid us a lot more i don't think we're going to have too many issues especially if we put the right messaging out there too um, there was a lot of work done last year in regards mm. to uh, a year of return. Probably going to have to do that times 10 um, for this year and, and, you know, for the next decade or so. I mean, it, this goes back into the whole, there has to be a real push. Um, what, what are the reasonings for people to come home? You know, now is a really, really good opportunity to sit back and position ourselves effectively with the correct messaging and then also with the messaging have actions in the background that make it easier for people to do so um 
So in regards to, you know, tourism and economies and aviation, well, aviation will take a pound in regardless, but they'll bounce back. Everyone's going to want to travel anyway. Um, 9-11 happened. It, people mm, chilled for a um, But that's within man, how everybody wants to travel. Everybody would want to travel. Um, mm. As long as people feel safe to, they will. And as long as they can afford to, they also will. So aviation won't have a problem. Some some airlines will fall, such is life. Um, the economies, though, yeah, they will struggle a little bit. But again, how can if you go back to 9-11, um, there was fear of whether the aviation industry will recover. And it not only recovered, it surpassed numbers that it was there before. Um, essentially because people felt safe. Um and people would want to travel. People would be like traveling, you know, um, especially in this part of the world. So there won't be any. I don't. I don't think um, there'll be any issues with um, the aviation getting back to the levels that it was at before. Um, there will be some um, airlines that probably have to fold, but again, this is part of life. It's part of business. It happens. Um, economies themselves especially african economies um and we speak specifically of ghana um it, you know to have a shutdown for a month is a big deal um and there will be an effect a financial effect in that respect as well but i do believe we'll, we'll bounce back and again the word the word for today for me is just always opportunity um seeing it as an opportunity okay so how can we prevent ourselves from these shocks in the future how can we better position ourselves how can we look inward or continental wide and then also from a, a worldwide perspective how can we um protect ourselves in the future from these type of shocks and have a thriving economy so that when these things happen because they will disasters happen when these things happen we'll be in a much better position um to where if we do need to lock off the country for more than a month or so, you know, we have the financial reserves and whatnot to be able to do that. Um, and to also look after our people, which includes the vulnerable also. Yeah. Um, and the vulnerable are very important in the, in this matter too, um, which, and sometimes they don't get spoken of. Um, when you're doing a shutdown, where are people that live on, live outside? Where are they? Where are they? The homeless, where are they? And the disabled, how are we helping them? Um, so, you know, for me, again, it's just a way we should look at this as, okay, how can we kind of restart, put, hit the reset button and really, really move forward as a country? No, yeah, you're right. Um, thanks a lot for that. Definitely does, it definitely does make sense. And I love what you said about opportunity. Of course, there are crises, but there's also the chance to see to see through it, which, like you rightly said, is about is about looking at what can we create, what we uh, what can we produce, how we how can we how can we help the different nations as well. I think not just us, because I think that both you and Charlene really touched on a very important point, which was how, for example, if Ghanaians uh, are we pushing to get different academics health practitioners and uh, researchers to be in the lab to work together, find solutions, cures, and can we do it as a, an intra-African cooperation? So, yeah, absolutely, I agree. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, that would be very interesting, I believe. <laughs> what do you think, Charlene? 
the intercontinental. No, I think an intracontinental, more of an intracontinental. So. I would love to say an intra one, especially because let's face it, uh, South Africa, I believe, have got the structures, the know-how, the intelligence. So why not? I mean, we've all got intelligence. I mean, we can all we can all play our part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think it's one of those things where it's like for the continent, um, they you know we just have to build ourselves individually as countries so that the the sum of the collective is greater than its parts, right? Yeah. Um, so if if Ghana focuses on what Ghana needs, um, it will find itself a lot more helpful to the rest of the continent. And if everyone does that, then the continent would be stronger. Um, but if Ghana relies on the idea that South Africa has what Ghana doesn't have, um, <laughs> one day that relationship will be stretched. Let's be honest, you know. So. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. So now that will take us to one of the questions because, okay. Pardon? What's been going on? <laughs> What's been going on? So much is going on. I mean, we are all locked down in the house, but yeah, so much is going on. Um, yeah, so this is one of the questions that I think so many people, not I've been asking, but I think it's important to ask ourselves. So, different people from different, uh, and we all know, we all have that auntie or uncle that will send us that WhatsApp message. Uh, talking about the fact that Ghana's doing this, this is what's happening, guys, let's pray for the country. We all do. Let's not front it. However, something that I believe we should also touch on. So many people now, I've seen these messages going around, which is, do you think that now perhaps some of the current leadership is using this, uh, this opportunity to, to be autocratic, to really start imposing martial laws, to having the police abusing people? Uh, uh, and then by the same token, some people still asking, oh no, we really do need to get, for example, tough uh, tougher laws when it comes to borders. We have had uh, apparently there were 22 Togolese that tried to get into Ghana to smuggle into Ghana, which I would have never said it. So, the question for you both is how do you think, how do you see the government doing when it comes to do you think that there's been an increment in being autocratic when it comes to law? Second question is, is it needed? And thirdly, where do we draw a line to also ensure that civil society and civil liberties are respected and guaranteed? Hmm. So, do you want to go first? Or? Um, yeah, go on and I'll, I'll go first. Um, uh, I think this is a hard one. So, <laughs> I, I, I guess the best analogy I can use for this is the, the lady, I think she was Indian, who was in the City Dia supermarket um, just maybe a day or two after the first case of um, corona in the country. And she was manhandled, right? And she was taken out of the, out of the shop um, quite forcefully. I didn't agree with how it was done, but mm. there's that. And, and everyone seemed to be saying that in these corona times, um, they are happy to look away when... Um, the security guards manhandle foreigners um, 
for the safety, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it's it like I don't I don't I don't want to agree with that. And like I fully, in fact, I've argued with any person about this. I don't agree with that. But in the large scale of things, you will have to see a level of an increase in strength from the state um, in order to suppress this threat to the state. Um, and and I think that um, it's not autocratic. It's it's emergency powers. It's auto, auto like to be autocratic, to be authoritarian, to be totalitarian. It's a system you know, that you have to live within for a long period of time. Yeah. This is a um, a one-off, right? It's such a it's such a separate situation. Nobody is trying to say that um, this will be the case forever. It's very much defined quite clearly as a response to a biological issue. Like, they would have to somehow prolong the existence of the virus in the, the country in order to justify prolonging the measures. Um, so this isn't like a fake war against a neighbouring country that, who are always there and therefore always a threat. This is very clearly the numbers are going to go up and then they're going to come down hopefully and if they don't come down we are still very much in threat so it's, it's, it's very easily defined and for that reason I don't think you can call what's gone on so far authoritarian or you know moving in that direction second of all I think it's laughable because the most of the most of the people who are pushing that agenda come from a party that came out of military oppression <laughs> Right? You so, are shaking a big table here. Let like, me let me hide. If some, if, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm gonna shake. I'm gonna shake the table. If, <laughs> if anyone wants to hold onto the table, if they get hurt, it's not my problem. <laughs> the fact is that the NDC came out of the PN, the PNDC came out of the AFRC. They built a system of oppression, and so if they want to really talk about it, it's not. It they shouldn't be arguing with the one party who opposed that system for 20 years straight and got the country through pressure internationally and domestically um, got the country out of that system like you just can't I'm sorry it's just, it's just not possible the MPP has in 2008 when the um, elections were tight stepped down and allowed for another eight years of the NDC um, and have now obviously taken power and control at this moment in time it is not in his interest to ruin his name with um with oppression like so everyone just needs to chill um <laughs> and back down um and just let us get over this um and then in 2020 december hopefully um if everything is fine by then then we've got an election on our hands alternatively um if it's not okay then i don't want to see the elections at all um and i'd rather we postpone the election to 2021 wait 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 hang on so the question would you like then to see a default president but then doesn't he kind of negate the whole point of a democracy? Um, genuine question here, especially for my fellow listeners. You ask if, if I would rather see... Uh, uh, yeah, I, I would rather we didn't have an election if, for the sake of public safety, it wasn't right. It wasn't the right time. Hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. And I'd push that back a year. And that I honestly have no problem with that because the country, that there's no point having um, 25 to 30 million 
people at risk of dying within two weeks. Like, that's just... Crazy, dumb. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, don't, I, I think the thing is, as well, I don't have any fears that the MPP are going to abuse this position. I just don't have those fears. Um, maybe I'd think differently if it was the other way around, but I don't. <laughs> Interesting. I think um, I. Uh, I you guys I, are I, like, what? That one left? <laughs> no, 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 no. I think, to be honest with you, I fully agree with it. Um, if, let's say, come August, September, October, this crisis is still going on, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever <laughs> to hold an election. I mean, you can't even hold mass, mass gatherings or anything like that, and you will require people to be out. So then exactly. what happens? Um, exactly. You end up, you would also even get voter suppression anyway, because who's coming out of their house to vote, let alone, you know, the people aren't coming out to exactly. do anything. So just, you know, mm-hmm. Then could we do a virtual one then? No, because we aren't prepared for it. Oh. We aren't. So there's, there's no point trying out things now that Fair haven't enough. been tested. Um, um, exactly. we will have a, you will have a lot of opposition. Um, to postponing by the end of the day is about the national interest. That's 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 pretty much it. And anyone that um, will voice up against that, you might want to look at them a little bit carefully and and, and to see why they might be doing so. Um, government isn't always right, and of course they will always try to do things in their favour. I mean, who wouldn't? We as normal people, we do that as well. We always want an advantage. Um, but at the same time, this is about nation. Um, and how best to protect the country. And if that means that you have to postpone for another year, then you postpone for another year. That's simple. I mean, and I'm sure the Constitution will allow something like that. Um, So, yeah, this is common sense, really. Um, And I I agree fully with Charlene there. In in regards to heavy-handedness from state security um, agencies, whether that be uh, in Ghana or anywhere else, I think uh, it's a dicey one, to be honest, um, because the, this what, what's happening right now is a very real thing. Hmm. It is, and if the measures that they are putting in place require people to stay at home, um, and people decide to go against that, the law must be enforced. Yeah. Um, State agencies do have a tendency at times to go a little bit overboard. Um, is there a risk that they can overstretch their hand? Yeah, they can, because you'll always have a few rogue people in, in any agencies, in anything at all. Um, I think mm-hmm. the, the key to this will be what happens after this crisis is over, essentially. Um, whether they do try to use this as a way to enforce enforce the law even more and actually it could work it could actually work to our advantage as a nation because let's let's face it um might be a bit controversial but let's face it at times uh, ghana can be a very lawless place um and shaking table alert sometimes we, sorry no guys can you do me a favor i think that i think the people at home also need to need to understand that I was not sat down and I wasn't ready. So every time you're shaking the table, let me know so I can get ready and be sat. <laughs> if not, I'm going to fall down all the time. Thank you. Uh, 
I, I think that again, like I said, it's important to it's for us to see what will happen afterwards. Um, I, yeah. again, I'm looking yeah. at this whole thing as a well. um, how can we enforce laws that need to be enforced? Because clearly, <laughs> this situation has shown that when we need to do the right thing, we do. Yeah. As a government, as a people, now, what do we need to do to make sure that that is an everyday occurrence and an everyday way of living? I don't, I don't support um, heavy heavy-handedness at all, um, where it's not needed, and I wouldn't want to be in a situation or a state where that is encouraged. Um, but at the same time, if we talk of where we currently are um, as a country, one in regards to this crisis, because there are still people um, going against the um, stay-at-home social distancing and whatnot. That's that. There'll still be people going against that and living freely, <laughs> being on beaches, having <laughs> beach parties. That's still going on, yeah. right? Um, in that type of situation, what do you do? You are going to have to enforce the law. And, that's, and with some people, you're going to have to do it a bit heavy. Um, you're going to be a bit heavy-handed. I mean, there's a rod and a staff, right? <laughs> if, 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 if the staff doesn't work, what are you going to use? The rod at times, occasionally, yeah. and that's just mm-hmm. in the sense you will have to be heavy-handed. But I, again, I think that it's going to be the, the thing to watch will be what happens afterwards, um, how we how we will handle that going forward. I don't think we're going to have too many issues because, um, mm-hmm. well, with this particular government um, and the party in itself, in which um, Charlie was talking about, don't have a history of that um, at all. But you never know. So I, I first, I just say watch this space. I just say mm. watch this space because we don't really know. Um, yeah. We've seen, seen these. Um, I do think at the same time the people are people. People are more um, what's the word vigilant now as well, and they're going to protect their democracy. I think mm. that's we can have faith in the people for that. Yeah, and for Ghana, that's definitely a, a thing that will definitely be the case. That's one. That's one thing we will definitely fight for. <laughs> is is that freedom? Um, essentially and all politicians in the country know that as well and that's something that they won't ever well we'd like to think they won't ever try to fight against and we have we have a history of, of being a peaceful nation yeah. um, since the republic was formed mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. if there's one thing that Ghanaians will fight for is to keep that peace yeah true. to keep that peace and in that case so yeah that that's my take on that Mm, no, that's a very interesting take. So, all in all, I think that it seems that yes, the current administration is doing something, I will guess, somewhat positive. So, my question now to you is, so what kind of stance, and this will be the last question, so in terms amid the coronavirus crisis and this pandemic, then what should the opposition party do? Because it seems to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I really rely on very reliable sources, which is the WhatsApp text from Uncle and Auntie's, and uh, of course, Ghanaian news. But then it seems that, I know, right? (laughs) But then, yeah, so literally, the opposition party seems to be same match, seems to be complaining quite a lot. And personally, I would say that this is not the right time to do politics. However, I also understand that's their job. They need to take. They need to make sure that the current administration is to be made accountable. So, what would be your advice, or what would be? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Ye
no worries. I don't know. Maybe it was a sign from God. They didn't want to. Didn't he wanted to interrupt you? I don't know. Who knows? Oh, hello. Oh yeah, we we've got the entire team back on. I don't know. Yeah, I can. I was telling Charlene that maybe that's yeah, that was know. a sign from God. I don't know. Who knows? He didn't want you to finish. <laughs> I joke. I joke. It, honestly, it's just trying to. It's, they're trying to hack us. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, it, it's not time because of the virus. It's time started. because of the election. <laughs> what this is the thing. Um, but mm. I would just expect them to take part. I, I expect them to participate, to share ideas, even if those ideas are contrary to the government, just to give their opinion, um, and. Uh, share with the public their their opinion if it's different not to say not to vilify the government not to say the government's trying to hurt you but rather just this is how we would have done it just offer different opinions that's fine because we are still in an election year um and i do still want to see the campaign trail as as it usually is because it's quite lively and quite enjoyable mm. no, I'd, I'd agree um there's always going to be an element of politics in anything that happens um, and you can't expect um, politicians to be um, quiet in any of these matters but I think again they should put the national interest um, above anything else um, but at the same time your job is to provide solutions that's 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 essentially what you're there for is to provide alternative solutions it's not to criticize and to become alarmist for the sake of, of being so um, show people that in fact this is a this is an opportune time for an opposition party to come and say what they would have done differently <laughs> in this in this crisis um, because now people are at home people are people are listening to the radio people might take more of an interest in what you have to say mm. and if you're making sense it might just sway them a little bit um, but again that we can't always trust um politicians to do that but i'll just hope that they engage um they engage with the nation and provide real solutions to the problems that we face even in this time as well and collaborate where they need to collaborate because this isn't this isn't a, an mpp problem it's not a cpp problem or an ndc problem this is a Ghanaian problem and a worldwide problem and we need people to pull together, bring their brain power together to solve these problems. And that's all I'd expect from them. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree with you both. And uh, like Nigel rightly said in the in this last sentence, I think it's since everyone is at home now, that's the right time to bring our content and to really showcase what you're about. And this is for both parties, so for whichever party or whichever person would like to really showcase their, um, how would I put it? Yeah, to showcase their, um, what they would like to do for, for the country, for Ghana, the diaspora and, and all the rest. So no, definitely, I totally agree with you both. And uh, thank you both for being with us and uh, yeah, for starting this great new adventure and to really bring in more information, knowledge and uh, especially some new guests to the GPP, the Ghana Paradox Podcast. So thanks a lot, Nigel. Thanks a lot, Charlene. And uh, until the next time.
guys, this is uh, our. Stay safe. I will try and definitely will stay safe. Wash your hands, folks. Wash your hands. Yeah, please do wash your hands. Make sure. Twice and all that. Yeah. Ah, Charlene, behave, behave. <laughs> Leave my person alone, okay? He's, He's at home resting now, okay? <laughs> For him. Oh, thanks a lot, guys. Take care. <laughs> he didn't wash his hands <laughs> <laughs> You know what? This is his, the right time for him to listen to the GPP. Maybe he can learn one or two things from, from uh, yeah, from Ghana and from, uh, from you guys. So, yeah, if... Mr. Boris, if you're listening, make sure you listen to the Ghana Products Podcast. We'll send you off to your email. Enjoy. And wash your hand, please. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Red card for all of you. Bye, guys. <laughs> Take care. Hi, Hello. Hello, here we are back again. And Nigel, hi, my fellow co-panelists, here we are back again. And guess who we have here, the one and only, is my Umi Akwe. <laughs> Toyota. Oh, wow. bar, right? Is that what you say? <laughs> so is my is my god that bad that you literally had to ask? Mm? Oh wow, you really don't rate me. <laughs> is is my ill? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Yeah. Before you try to diss me, I was telling you, Toyota. <laughs> okay, we are not doing our lessons here. Okay, you did not come over. To come and embarrass me and do gala. That's <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. Anyway, guys, <laughs> here we are. We are back with my fellow co-panelists, Charlene Bello, the Bello on Twitter. Make sure you follow her. Our agent provocateur, and also we have our <laughs> businessman, mogul, titan, and dawn of industry, Nigel Parquesi Butcher. And, uh, of course, you have myself, the one and only, yours truly, PR extraordinaire, if you might say so, Derek Ozumwaku. And here with us today, we have our guest speaker, Nia Kwe So let me tell you more about Nia Kwe. Nia Kwe is an international journalist, communication and media consultant, editor, writer, human rights advocate, Pan-Africanist, good child of Kwan Nkrumah, I guess, tech enthusiast, history fanatic, and a lover of art and culture. So he's been working on many and with many media outlets from Iran News, African News, Face to Face Africa, Africa Web, Ghana Web, Cameroon Web, and many more. And uh, yes, he's been a, he has a wealth of experience when it comes to journalism, when it comes to Africa, and uh, the media the media sphere in uh, the continent. So thanks a lot for being with us and welcome, uh, Nia. Thank you. So before I pose my question, I hope you guys are all ready. We all know what's happening, uh, COVID-19. So 
this question is very topical and I love the fact that we are two panelists who can bring as well the diaspora and experience of their moving up to and fro Ghana. We are a real Ghanaian like myself. No, I'm joking. Me? <laughs> wait, 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 Pauline. You start you started laughing. Uh, you know what? <laughs> this, this is not the podcast called Gang Up and Derek, so we are not doing that. <laughs> and uh, secondly, uh, yes, a real Ghanaian, a Ghanaian from Ghana that can tell us really and truly what's happening on the on the scene. So the question here it goes: Do COVID nineteen safety measures highlight the class inequality amongst Ghanaians? So, Charlene, let's discuss twenty points. Oh, 20 points. Ooh, um, 20 points. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, uh, it, it obviously does. Um, there are, well, I say it obviously does. It's up for debate. But um, at the end of the day, you know, there are things that have been asked of the people that is just not possible for some people, right? So those who have an informal economy, those who don't um, have um, for a cashless society, um those whose homes are literally you know 10 square meters um asking them to be locked down in their homes to go nowhere um to only be allowed to go out for food but also at the same time tell them that they can't go out so frequently um when they don't have the the appliances to keep food um and all that and and obviously like these what has been asked of certain people in like the chop kind of shows that people have applied their legon brain to a chocolate <laughs> existence and it's it's not matched up very well um with with the people um but it, it's hard at the end of the day it, i mean me you might disagree but um needs must um i don't know any i don't know of any other solution um for this virus. Hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I think I'm on the same line with you and uh, the virus really is mainly attacking the poor because mm. uh, right now it's 834 cases, nine deaths and then 99 recoveries. Mm. And uh, the reason why Accra, I mean Greater Accra and then Greater Kumasi has been um, under uh, lockdown is just because that's where the majority of the people are. And the majority are people who are below the middle income level. I can see lower middle income, lower, just, they are just mm. at the bottom. And all these people are asking for food. Mm. What about the rest? What about the others? Mm. So the really suffering, they don't have a voice and the government authorities who are supposed to help are trying to help, but how can you help people when you don't have any proper measures to count or to even know the number of people affected, to know who it's what and how do you get to them? And then this lockdown is not allowing people to go to the informal jobs. The barbers are closed. Mm-hmm. The cleaners are not working. Taxis cannot go out. Churchill drivers are restricted. People who are even essential workers who are supposed to move around every time they have to go to hustle to get control or any vehicle to take them wherever they want to go to. So people are really confused. People are tired. 
and they still don't believe there's a virus because they feel it's punishment because they are not seeing anything. They are not seeing. They just don't understand, and it's just because of the education. I can call it educational divide, but some too is ignorance. So at the end of the day, there's a mix of both, and that's what's making it very serious here. Ni, Charlene, and Nigel. I mean,、uh, and before Nigel goes, Ni said a few things that have made me to to actually think. So, are you on? Are you saying? And this is a question for everyone on top of what I've asked already. So, do you also believe that perhaps the government should do another campaign either through WhatsApp and、uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess radio because every Ghanaian seems to listen to radio.、Um, do you think perhaps that they should do another campaign to educate people about the real dangers of COVID nineteen first and secondly? Because I believe me would be able to re- as a journalist, you've seen things. So, do you think that? People apply, do especially police. Do they apply different measures to people who are wealthier? So, for example, if a wealthy people, if a wealthy person, apologies, need to go out, will they be arrested? Will they be reprimanded the same way somebody who might not be as wealthy or rich be? Yeah. So, so、uh, there are different structures for different people in Ghana here. And,、uh, the moment you speak three. To any security officer, he automatically—I、uh, would call it—he he, he degrades you,、mm-hmm. and the response you get is not the same response someone who is speaking English will get. And most、mm-hmm. the people who are well off are driving, and when they get to the security post, they just say,、oh, "Maybe I'm going there. I'm doing this." But for the others, you see the security men or the police, the military. Wielding canes and just hey, we're going. You know, we can say radio. Fine, it's going on. It's on radio. It's on TV. It's everywhere. But when you go to Choco, where you saw a lot of people at the beach, when you go to Nima, when you come to Newtown, and all these places, most of the people are outside. They are sitting by the streets. And on a normal day, before the virus and all the whole、uh, epidemic, people are mostly in the streets because. There's nothing for them in their rooms. The rooms are small. They don't have a lot of,、mm. uh, I mean, cable TVs. They are other. They are really poor. People are poor here, so they mostly sit out. So now we tell them to be inside. So inside, where should they go inside? Where? What's there?、Mm. There's nothing. And they're listening to radio outside. They are not watching TV outside. And they are not on Facebook、mm. like we are on Facebook. Much size to read about the safety measures. So how then do you get to them? It's supposed to be face to face. And face to face is not working because they are not supposed to be out there isolated.、Um, I mean,、uh, mingling and loitering and or going closer to people. How best could that be done? So the best they could do, the authorities, is to share food. So they go to the markets and other places. But I keep getting text messages from people who are in other areas. I mean, in the urban areas and other places, they are also poor, but nobody is getting to them because the moment you call. They'll say, "Well, you live in East Legon, so automatically you're not supposed to call and ask because they think East Legon is made up of the high class people." But there are people living in Kyoto in East Legon and even in their shops. Oh wow! So this is a really big problem for us, and it's a test because I feel after this, the government is supposed to put down a plan of what is needed, how to trace people, how to reach out to people, how many people are where, and and what are they doing, and all these things. So in future, if there's any other thing, could not could could be anything, could be a social problem, not really a disease. 
how do we then uh, address it? So I think this is what it is. We are all really suffering. It's not a political thing at all, or someone mm -hmm. doing anything. Everybody's doing something. Better. We are at a loss right now. Nigel. I need, um, I, wanted, I wanted to ask a question um, in a sense of, so class inequality pretty much exists, exists everywhere. And this is highlighting it even more so. Um, obviously we've seen out in the West here that, for example, celebrities or politicians are getting access to um, testing to, um, before even that of NHS members. I wanted to ask, is that something that's also happening in Ghana? Are you seeing that in Ghana where politicians or their family members might be getting tested, or is that not happening at all? Yeah, so that's happening. And in the beginning, um, I think, uh, is there a minister? Or, I think a minister mistakenly uh, called a hospital a VIP hospital, or hospital for VIP patients of coronavirus. <laughs> it's a big issue. And you have to do some PR to just say, no, it's a mistake, it's not a VIP. But it is, we all know it is. And uh, for the testing, you know, before Jack Ma's uh, test kits came to Ghana, uh, we didn't have much. And mm. we only had, well, like the former president, Rollins, he had already tested with his family. He had all these high-profile testing. And they themselves went out to test. But people went to hospitals to get tested and they are returned home. They said, no, said if you feel you have the symptoms, be inside for four days. And let's see, if it gets worse, then you call this number. So mm. that's what's, what's done. But now about... Um, about 6,000 or so people have been tested. And uh, the 6,000 have been tested, uh, most of them are in the slums. So they came around with the team, the frontline workers, and they were doing uh, contact tracing. And most of the contacts or people who had it were in the slums. So now it seems we need more test kits and more people are being tested. But for those in the upper class, they go get themselves tested themselves. So that's what's going on. Oh, goodness. Uh, I mean, you know what? I'm, I will never take away from this. But let's face it, this happens as well in the UK. It happens in America when you see all these crazy celebs going and say, oh, my God, I am doing self-isolation in my 25-bedroom mansion, mm. which we don't care about, really and truly. Um, yeah, also because I live in a two-bedroom you know, two house. That's okay. <laughs> and... Um, However, my thing is that, fair enough, it's true. This really shows class inequality. And you and me were talking about the fact that maybe the government can come back with a few more proactive strategies, as Nigel and Charlene were talked about, as in this is the time not to be just reactive, but to be proactive. And to really showcase to not just the entire of the, con the African continent, but the world, how you can be a leader, but also compassionate about your fellow citizens. But... My question now is, so what then do you think we should be doing? Because we are checking, we have the digital addresses to check on people. We have a new technique and innovation. So what else can we do? We are distributing food. So what else do you think should be, should be done from an administrative point of view, from the government, from uh, public-private partnerships? What more do you expect it to be done or what solution? do you think we should implement? And that's a question for all the three of you. So, Charlene, if you'd like to start. Uh, I was thinking, um, 
it's it's um it's a difficult one from from where I, I'm sitting. I, I'd rather hear what Nia has saying, perhaps re- respond to that, just because I am more than aware that what I'm getting is um the highlight reel from from the media that I am able yeah. to access. So um yeah, Nia, Nia can probably tell us what he doesn't like about what's going on, and um, <laughs> we can go from there. well, so um, I'm very charitable lately because uh, managing people and managing situations is not easy. And yeah. I see what's being done, the private sector fund, where the private sector is donating, the money is being put together to help support the government. There is um, food being shared. There, there are other things. But I just, I just want to focus on the problems that the people themselves are bringing up. So the problems they are bringing up, one, is the food not getting to everybody. So imagine 5,000 packs of food is or of cooked food is uh, brought to an area where there could be about maybe twenty thousand people. So five thousand packs, one meal, and is distributed. And the next time or the following day goes to a different area. So what about those who can afford to have breakfast, but they'll get lunch? Let's say that, and others who don't get the lunch, what happens to them? So it means there's no system of giving out food. And that's what people are still complaining about. So people keep saying they need food, but there's no food. But me, I mean, didn't you say that both John Dumelo has been doing distribution and (laughs) as well um, for, I mean, oh my God, the laugh was, anyway, was outstanding. (laughs) And then as well, uh, MP Zanetto Rowlands, she's been going around. So isn't that enough? And these MPs doing much? Zanetto went to a market in a, in a community. You know, she's an MP. Yeah. Uh, uh, Dumelo went to his community. So what about the other communities that don't have MPs going there? What would they eat? And mm. they didn't go with like five trucks full of food. No. They just went with that's maybe a truck. They took food out of uh, the back of their cars. And how many packs do you think will, will be there? Maybe 100. 200 and the people there are in, in their thousands so it's not enough and that's one meal just one meal in the day and these people we are talking about for instance the kaye that zanetta went to give food she gave to the kaye so the kaye are the women who carry loads in the market okay. people are restricted and they are mostly coming from the north of the country mm. they don't have any homes. they don't have any families they sleep in the market and now there's this lockdown People are not going to the market as they used to. Nobody can carry or nobody would want anyone to carry something from somewhere. So now they don't have a job to do. They can't feed. And I understand the government says it's providing housing. But the kids are still in the street. And they are still looking for food and begging and screaming. So it means the housing is not even enough for them. This is one of the things. But how do we do this? If anyone, I'm sure if I bring this up, anybody in management, in authority would ask, but we are doing our best. So what else do we do? So the what else is what I think every Ghanaian should come together to find solutions to. We have the technocrats, we have all these uh, engineers and everybody, but they're all quiet. We're not hearing anything. What are they doing? What are not ideas and solutions? So this is a time everyone should speak up. But as you know, our country is so uh, politicized. I don't know what to call it. Everybody keeps, oh, it's their duty. So they have to do the government, the government, but no. We have to do it. And if I say we, every Ghanaian has to bring their, their own um, uh, 
solutions to some of these problems because they are we are facing it. Mm. <clears throat> I think obviously <clears throat> what it shows again is that the inefficiency in our system and how we've yeah. been running how we've been running our country essentially if a crisis like this has come up and obviously like i said class class um, class differences will be there but if we can't get food for example to the poorest in our system it shows that we we're not doing a good job essentially yeah. like you said um somebody living in nima in comparison to someone living in Trasaco, mm. their experience of quarantine is going to be extremely different. Um, and <clears throat> I think, as, as you've both, you both alluded to, mm. that we need to really look at the solutions from a long-term perspective mm. on how are we going to create an economy and a system that serves everybody. So we don't actually need... MPs or politicians <laughs> to come on ground to be distributing food from the back of a pickup truck. Yeah. How will how we how are we going to be able to create a system where people can actually, you know, live off their basic they can have their basic needs even in these situations? I mean, inefficiencies are everywhere. I mean, we live in a country where, you know, <laughs> we're having our own issues. Sorry, can we mention the country? Because people never always forget that. Mention the country. Oh, this is our UK. Thank you. <laughs> Queen, Queen Lisbeth. So mighty UK. Queen Lisbeth's place. Yeah, um, we, we have we have problems here, which are actually quite similar in that sense. We wouldn't believe it, but it, it's true. Um, we think of uh, people... Last last week we spoke of the homeless people, for example. So I would ask, I'd ask you, me now. So it's true. how are government looking after the homeless? Because again, like you said, how are they being accounted for? Yeah. Um, how are they be? How are they being looked after? Because we, I'm assuming, and my ignorance might show here, um, we probably don't have a database of some of this. But how how is it happening? Is it all based off individual? Um, acts of kindness basically to see to it that people are being looked after in this situation so in, in in the beginning you know it was all politics because everyone was preparing for elections in december so um the government said well we have some houses where we would keep the focus on the kaya the, 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 the ladies in the markets just them but they forgot they are real homeless people mm. and just two days ago uh, something happened in accra Called, uh, which has a lot of squatters and most of them are coming from the north and they really work in the markets they sell stuff but they, they don't have homes here so they just build some wooden structures and live in and we know they are there for a long time yeah mm -hmm. have been demolished so many times in the past and from nowhere the mayor of Accra thought it was the right time to demolish these structures two days ago and he demolished, he demolished it and more than a thousand people in the streets, no homes. In this time, in this crisis, how can you do that? And they tried to cover it up. Oh no, it's, it's for the dredging of the Kole Lagoon. It needs to be dredged and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's asking, but why this time? Why not later? I think it, it didn't, they didn't think about it. And now more people, yesterday, uh, a lot of these people slept in the street. And I think it's in the news, if you follow, uh, this threat, they, they slept uh, uh, on the graphic road and doing the streets, selling just there, disregarding the whole uh, safety measures and all of that. And you can do anything to them because where are they going to? Mm. Nowhere. 
and you just structures we're living in. So we have a serious housing problem. We have a serious uh, homelessness problem. We don't see it as such because in Ghana at night, when you roam the streets, you wouldn't see a lot of people lying in the streets. Oh. You build some structures somewhere and they are sleeping in it. So you wouldn't see them in the streets. You only see maybe people who are sick or probably in the markets, that's where you see a guy sleeping in front of some shops and stores but you wouldn't see a lot of people in the street so we think there's no homelessness problem but it is and most of them are not from here they are not from Accra at least when you go to Jamestown my hometown uh, you find uh, about 12 people sleeping in a 12 by 12 mm. uh, uh, feet oh goodness yeah, they are comfortable because that's the room their great great grandfather had and they inherited and the family keeps growing so at night they go in there and sleep but in the day they can't be in there mm. So everybody's outside. They sit outside till midnight before they go sleep inside. All these people, they are not sleeping well. They really don't have proper accommodation. They don't have proper rooms. And if they had the means, I'm sure they could rent or anything like that. But the means isn't there. And government, government since, I can say since Nkrumah's time, has planned to build housing for the poor. And it's never materialized. But Nee, nee this is the thing we that never- I wanted to ask you then. Um like you said, from from Nkrumah, there's been plans, right? But especially in the Ga areas, yeah. there hasn't been any development. Um, uh, when when things are going good, like unfortunately, I I think it's such a hard one. I think the government has taken advantage of the situation to to demolish some houses, right? That I did. I do think they've thought about it and they have intended to do it, and now they're trying to play it down. Um, but at the same time, what we do know is that there are many places where people are given, even even not just like places to sleep, even places to, to work, places to sell, where they're given notices to, to evict um, and they don't move. And then the day comes that the um, eviction happens and then it's like, oh, but nobody told us. But meanwhile, we know that they were told, right? Um, do you think after this COVID, knowing, seeing that some people are living 12 12 people into a nine square meter room um do you think if the government had approached these communities afterwards and said this this cannot be anymore it's just not practical we are going to demolish your houses and we are going to build on top of it with high-rise buildings do you think they would have um accepted that as an option Daniels don't accept anything until they see something new. Until date, we don't even accept coronaviruses in Ghana. This is the right time. Immediately after coronavirus crisis, this is the right time to put our house in order. But trust me, it's never going to happen because elections is coming. Nobody will do that. You know they're going to lose elections when they break the news and all those sharks and everything. It's not going to happen. And this is what keeps happening. We are always guided by elections by being in power. And that's what's keeping us behind. And we never grow. Four years is not enough. Some people are asking for more, you know, because they feel if there are more years, they could do the things they really want to do because four years is not enough. But I think it's because they are thinking about being in power. That's what's making it difficult to execute these things. But we need to do it. We need to. Thanks a lot for joining us. Charlene, Nigel, thanks a lot. And uh, on to the next time, on to the next one. Thanks. 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 Bye bye.
Take care. Take care. <laughs>